0: Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with your hosts Mackenzie and Micah. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about a recent news story, or we're inspired by a recent news story, of a guy named John went to an island in the Indian Ocean and attempted to convert the inhabitants to Christianity he did not survive this encounter um and there's a little bit of history regarding this island and uh outsiders which probably plays it well surely plays into this um but it has resulted in a whole bunch of sort of moral debates
1: yeah and uh, I mean the the there are several questions uh that I think you know people of a variety of, uh, religious and cultural and philosophical backgrounds can have, um, you know, was it, uh, it is, Ill- it was illegal for this man to go to this Island because the Indian government had cordoned it off, um, to, to preserve them from contact. And so, you know, was it wrong to break Indian law, um, to go to this Island when he wasn't supposed to, um, there's the question of, um, uh, you know these folks probably aren't resistant to most diseases that they might be exposed to uh, with the arrival of, of newcomers. So was it was he endangering the lives of the people on the island by visiting them? You know could could he have given them the flu and killed all of them? You know that's that's a legitimate question. Um, so was that wrong of him? Um, and uh, there are lots of questions you know, just about like you know the history of imperialism and the fact that you know outsiders uh, have often meant death to indigenous communities like these. Um, you know, when is it, when is it ever okay to visit a place, uh, where the power differential is so great technologically and, and, and in other ways. Um, and also, uh, when the inhabitants have made it clear for a long time that they don't want visitors, uh, this, this group of people on this Island have have often attacked, um, people who have come to visit and they, you know, uh, as a society, they clearly don't want contact. Um, So there are all those questions. And then on top of that, uh, and I think, I think for us as, as specifically Quaker podcast, uh, perhaps uh, the most uh, relevant and interesting question uh, among all these other very good questions is um, when is it appropriate? Is it ever appropriate uh, for Christians to share the gospel with people who don't want to hear it? And what does that look like? And, uh, what, what is the meaning of martyrdom? Because, you know, some Christians are going to look at, at this young man and see a martyr, see someone who died for the cause of Jesus and the gospel. Um, and so what does that mean? How do we understand martyrdom? How do we understand sharing the gospel? And what does it mean to share the gospel? Because for us as, uh, you know, in the Quaker tradition, um, uh, our understanding of how God works is that God and Christ are present and available to everybody through the Holy spirit. And uh, that um, w- in that context, what does it mean to share the gospel? What does it mean to share the gospel when in some sense we all have access to God already?
0: Right. So that's a whole bunch of long list of questions.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so actually something that uh, I thought of, Right away when, like, while you were talking, something I thought of was um, the opening of Japan, actually, to um, the West aside from Portugal. Because um, Japan had had contact with Portugal um, in, like, sort of the Renaissance time, uh, which is why the Japanese word for bread is the same as the Portuguese and Spanish word for bread, pun. But... Um, because there mm-hmm. was no bread in Japan until the Portuguese showed up. Um, and there were some Catholic missionaries um, way back. And it even resulted in new art forms. Um, like with uh, Japaning Japanning is actually like a woodworking technique uh, or finishing technique. Um, and so suddenly there were these Christian religious artifacts being done using this technique and all sorts of stuff. But Japan did eventually close itself off from outsiders and go full isolationist um, with the exception of, like, one... There was, like, one island where, like, it was only the Portuguese could go to this one island and that was it. Anybody else who showed up, they would kill you. That was the rule. Um, and mm-hmm. so, um, as Americans, at some point in school, we learn about... Uh, Commodore Perry going and opening Japan to the west. And this isn't actually explained, or I, I mean, my school did not explain what this meant. I have since learned that what it meant was he showed up in these, like, steel battleships and basically was like, hey, check out, y- you see this big, huge boat I have that's way bigger than any of yours? Uh, Watch what my cannons can do.
1: Right. The or- and origin. they saw it
0: he did a demonstration. Huh?
1: This is the origin of the term gunboat diplomacy.
0: Yes. He, he did a demonstration of the destruction cannons could wreak and then went, so, you're going to trade with us, right? And, well, they wanted to live, so they said yes. Um, so that was, that was actually what I thought of when you were saying people who have made it clear that they don't want contact is like, Japan made it clear for hundreds of years that like, if you showed up, you were going to get.
1: Well, and, and I mean, just, just to throw, I mean, you know, we're, we're six minutes in this podcast. We mostly just ask questions at this point, but to throw another question in the mix. Also, we say Japan did not want contact. We said these Islanders do not want contact, but what does that mean? Does that mean that the emperor doesn't want contact, but maybe a lot of ordinary Japanese people might be interested in contact. Does it mean some some elite in the tribe on this Island? doesn't want contact, but maybe some people are very curious and would love to have contact. Like what, is, you know, the, what does it mean to not want to have contact and, and who whose will are we obeying? Mm,
0: right. And and of course, Japan is, you know, hundreds of islands. And right. um, which is why it's an emperor, not just. Yeah. Um, whereas this one island, North Sentinel is a, it's a much smaller population. So I suspect it would be much easier for, for there to be agreement than across the thousands and thousands of people in Japan.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: um, Whose islands are sometimes very distant from each other. Like I, I took Japanese in high school and my teacher was from an island, like way off in the Pacific ocean. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So I think, I think, you know, Mackenzie and I will probably agree I think probably most of most if not all of our listeners will agree that it's never okay to uh violently force people to do something that they don't want to do particularly something like trade for violently force one nation to trade with another nation that just seems that seems pretty clear that's that's not in keeping with you know with uh our 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 values as Quakers or as christians um but the the issue the issue at hand with this with this young man in the sentinel islands um was not about trade it was about uh sharing religious convictions um and the story of the gospel and it wasn't about a violent on his side on the the young missionary side it wasn't about him violently forcing anything on the people uh you know there's no there's no indication that he had any violent intent in fact quite the opposite he he uh, wrote to family members and and asked them to forgive the the people of the sentinel islands if he was killed because it would not be their fault um so in in the sen- in the sense of in the sense that we think of violence i mean there there is a question about like whether he would pass disease onto the people in the islands so that you could view that as a form of violence or, or at the very least neglect
0: negligence um
1: but Negligence, uh, but 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 this was not a violent person. This is not a person trying to do something violent in, in a traditional sense, at least. Um, and he wasn't doing it for personal gain in in any traditional sense. Um, and so, in that context, how do we handle how do we handle especially for those of us who are Christians um, and who do think that the gospel is precious and important and should be shared? Um, how do we handle what he did, which which seems to have had some pretty negative consequences?
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. So. I mean, sorry. Before we started court recording, I was pointing out to Micah. Um. Something that we've talked about before. We talked about the church, visible and invisible. Like, I don't know, about twenty episodes ago. And we talked about how. Um, which, well, like on that topic, we talked about that, like way back in the 1600s Quakers were saying that um, knowing the history of Jesus is not actually necessary to be able to turn to, you know, the, t- turn to the light within you and do what is right. And and that, that it's that turning to the light that is what is actually salvific. Um, we, you know, at least Micah and I, uh, as you know, Christian Quakers believe that the light is Christ. And so therefore that is Christ's method of saving people. Um, whereas, you know, others might not believe that the light is Christ and okay, whatever. Um, it's still in everybody, but so I think like that completely different mindset.
1: and I mean, for those of us who believe that, uh, there's there's this really interesting. Okay, so to to, let's, to take this back to scripture, there's this really interesting place. Uh, I think it's in, Ro, in in Paul's letter to the Romans, where he's talk he's sort of talking about this whole idea actually, and he says um, uh, he says. How can they hear if the, if no one will bring them the good news? Right, he's talking about like taking the message to people and saying, how can they hear if no one will 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 share the good news with them? And then after he says that, he says, but of course they already have heard because the gospel has been preached to every to every creature under heaven. Um, the word is the word is in their hearts and in their mouths. Um, he basically so he he basically like in in like in like one breath he goes from saying. How could people, you know, how can people receive the gospel unless it's preached to them? And he and and it's not rhetorical. He's saying he's saying, you know, the gospel needs to be preached. And then he also says, but of course they've heard it because mm-hmm. you know the God has written a law in our hearts. So it's this it's it's, it's this weird. Like it's it's actually weird. It is a weird thing. It's this weird tension.
0: Okay, so I just read that as he was answering his own question. You know what I mean? Like like in that you may ask, and here is my answer sort of way, you know?
1: Well, it's interesting because a lot, a lot of Christians read that same passage and see him saying it's impossible for people to receive the gospel without being, uh, having it delivered to them by other people. Um, and, huh. and and so I, I sort of see, see him saying both at once that the gospel has to be preached and the gospel has to be shared by people, but at the same time that it's received from and by the Spirit. Um, that that it's it's the inward witness of Christ that, that makes it possible to receive the gospel. And so there's this like we need to be preaching the gospel, we need to be sharing the gospel, and we're not the we as preachers and, and sharers are not the ones who can actually affect the change in people's lives. Um it's, it's this is this it's this weird it's this weird tension between like how much does it matter what we do and how much does it only matter what God does. Mm-hmm. But back to,
0: and I guess that sort of leads into um, what God makes you do, or what God tells you right. to do.
1: And so, uh, wh- you know, presumably, uh, this young missionary uh, who was recently killed in the Sentinel Islands, presumably he thought that it was God's will for him to go and share the gospel with these folks. And, you know, what do we, mm-hmm. what do we make of that? I mean, because, I mean, certainly, um, you know, we as, uh, I, I think, I think most people of faith, Christian or not, uh, will look back in history and say, there were lots of times when people were faithful to what God was telling them to do, and they were killed for it. Right? So the fact that right. the fact that he was killed doesn't mean he was wrong. Um so, but, but I mean, what sense do we make of what, what happened? I mean, it's hard to make sense of what happened, especially since we weren't there. We don't know what the interactions were like between him and the people who killed him, right? hmm
0: Right, we don't know, like, how long he was on the island alive before he got killed or any of that.
1: And Mackenzie, have you seen the movie The, 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 the Mission?
0: You said it's a movie? Nope.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a really good movie that I recommend, and and one of the. I should
0: perhaps clarify that the extent of movies I have watched about Christianity is basically like uh, there was one about the Nativity, there was one with the Passion, and uh, I've seen Dogma.
1: Yeah. And. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can endorse any of those m- movies you mentioned, but uh, one movie that I whole, <laughs> wholeheartedly endorse is called The Mission. Um, It's got Robert De Niro and some. I think it has someone else famous in it too. Um, But it's really, really, really good. And it's about, it's about this, I think he's Portuguese. It's about this Portuguese missionary going out in the jungle to try to bring Christianity to the tribes out there. And um, well, so the opening scene is this missionary like trying to bring the gospel and they kill him. You know, he, he comes, he comes with, he comes uh, to share it and they just kill him. And so then the story goes on to the next priest who also feel like after that priest is killed, he also feels the call uh, to go out and share the gospel with these people. Um, and even though they just killed his friend and fellow priest, he goes out to do it too. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a full length movie. So there's a lot of story here. And uh, But basically he, end, he ends up becoming a priest to these, uh, to this indigenous people um, and ends up siding with them Against uh the 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 colonialist uh folks who are enslaving those people uh, and misusing those people and and mistreating those people um, and so it's an interesting thing of like him going to share the gospel, and the gospel becomes a sort of a counterpoint to the gospel that that, that is that is being preached by Europeans becomes a counterpoint to European colonialism, if that makes sense. So like the gospel actually is um in that
0: situation liberation
1: liberation. and good news. As opposed yeah. to like
0: a lot um, of times there's been like this very too close relationship going on between the imperial powers and capitalists and the church and missionaries right. going on when when that stuff happens. Like like usually they, they work together on that
1: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of history of of the of, of of church leaders collaborating uh and working hand in glove with 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 empire and and sort of validating one another um but there but there have been i mean this wasn't just made up for the movie there have been a lot of times also when the church has stood as a um uh as a counterpoint to what empire is doing and, and at the very least Trying to contain the damage and reduce reduce the harm being done, even in the midst of very terrible situations. I mean, I think of I think of uh, the the uh, I think it's Bartholomew de las Casas in um, in Mexico when 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 colonialism was was early on happening in Mexico. I'm forgetting. I think his first name is Bartholomew, and it's de las Casas, and this is in Mexico, and um, he he was he was a, a Roman Catholic priest who worked tirelessly to uh, do to try to protect uh, vulnerable people in the native populations who were being abused by Spanish authorities, um, and actually like you know opposed slavery and things like that, which was rampant at that point. Um, and did so on Christian principles and because he believed the gospel and because he believed the gospel was for the indigenous peoples, not against them. Um, and so there, 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 while there have been lots of times when, when, uh, sort of the church officials and hierarchy have sided with empire. Um, there's also been many times when the gospel has shined through and people have actually tried to follow Jesus, even in the midst of all this mess. And so I wonder, I guess, yeah, I guess do for those of us who are Christians do do we feel like we have like we as we as the church have a responsibility to share the gospel even with people like uh uh the inhabitants of the Sentinel Islands is that important is that worth risking lives for
0: I mean I think well okay so Like, my idea of what the gospel is, and some other Christians' idea of what the gospel is, are not necessarily the same thing. Like, I feel like there are, like, probably at least five different versions, because there are also something like, you know, a dozen different atonement theories, right? And so... You know, like, I would say that the gospel, like, I would say that just just like George Fox said, I would say that the gospel is about Christ has come to teach his people himself, you know, the kingdom of God is within you, and you need no intermediaries, and Christ is within you, and that's, that's the good news, you know, in my opinion, but I know that, like, in evangelical Christianity, probably, probably the sort of thing that this guy, this missionary believed, was more about, um, penal substitutionary atonement, like that we're all, you know, we're all terrible and we all deserve hell, but Jesus was, you know, killed in our place. And so now, uh, if you believe in him, you get to go to heaven. And that's not how I think about it at all. Um, but Mm -hmm. that's also Like, the fact that he believes that you're going to go to hell unless you believe in Jesus is also why he would feel much more motivated to go and tell people who haven't heard about Jesus, like, about him. Whereas I tend more toward uh, the kind of opinion that, like, you know, that I have heard Jews have about evangelism, which is, like, uh, Jews do not go and try to convert people to Judaism. You actually have to, like, they, if you try to convert to Judaism, you, they're going to tell you no. At least three times, and you have to like persist through that. And be like, no, really, look, I've been told no before, and I still want to do this. Um, but what they do have mm-hmm. within Judaism is like um, Chabad. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct correctly. C h a b a d is like a group that um, tries to they, their missionary work is to get lapsed or secular Jews to be more observant. And so, like, I feel like that is something that I feel more kinship toward, like, the idea of people who have been in the church, but have maybe been hurt by it, or, because, I mean, there's a lot of harmful theology out there, there's a lot of spiritual abuse out there, Um, and sort of, like, needing a new perspective on, on the church, a more safe and welcoming and, and life-giving church, as opposed to, you know, like, like, does that make sense? Like taking, taking a more fruit of the spirity version of Christianity to people who have not found the fruits of the spirit in the church before?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that makes total sense. All I wonder is what's the difference between that? Like, I mean, let's say like someone like has been, has been a part of a Christian community, but like instead of life in it, they found death. How is that, how is it different to bring them, uh, you know, as George Fox would put it, to to bring them into the into the life and the power and true Christianity? How is that different than do, doing the same thing with a person who wasn't a part of a Christian community before?
0: Um, well, so I think a lot a lot of the time, what hap- a big part of what happens with like Christianity is a lot of messing with cultures, and like you know, um, you got the the Catholic missionaries who sometimes at the point of the sword, but did a lot of like uh mixing, blending, uh, remixing the, the cultures they found, yeah, Sync- yeah exactly. Um, mm-hmm. whereas then you know, you also run into like you know, like you hear stories about, um, like, so like different cultures have, for instance, different ideas of modesty, right? So like, you know, you hear stories about, um, uh, Christian missionaries who go to a place, I can't remember what the place was, but you know, there was a place where the standard for modesty was that only a prostitute covers her chest. And so then the Christian missionaries are trying to get these women to cover up their chest because this is immodest by Christian standards, right? But no, those are, those are, Western Mm. Christian standards, right? It's, it's different, completely different cultural ideas. And, and so changing that, or like, you know, if you have different traditions and do you, do you say, Oh, well, that tradition is not Christian. You can, you know, so you shouldn't do it anymore. You know what I mean? So I feel like if you're dealing with people who already had like a Christian background, that then you're not talking about changing their tradition or like it's it's more of the you know putting christ back in christmas thing as opposed to what is this christmas trees no those are pagan type of thing that was really really popular with quakers a long while ago
1: yeah i mean i guess i guess i'm 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 still i'm my mind is still back with like whether like whether non-Christians need Christ as much as Christians do. And I mean, my answer to that would be yes. Like I think non-Christians need Christ just as much as Christians do. And that like Christians who like aren't, aren't living in the life and power of God. um, They need, you know, we, I need, I need to be brought back when I'm not living in the life and power of God. I hope I will. I hope others will work to bring me back and to, 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 to encourage me to, uh, be back in relationship with God. And, you know, I need that as a Christian. I think other Christians like who, who are straying from the truth and who are not living in the life and power of God and who aren't experiencing God's power and presence, they, they are, are are a part of our calling as Christians is to bring them back. um, just like you said, but I also like, I, I don't know how to separate that from the calling to, to, to draw others who have never believed um, and have never professed belief in, in Jesus or a desire to follow Jesus to, to also invite them I mean, into I his I mean I guess I feel like how much
0: they need to know about historical Jesus in addition to having the light that they've got anyway would really like be super individual because like do, do Jews who are perfectly spiritually fulfilled by their own religious practice need Jesus? I don't really think so like I think they They got their thing down, you know, and like Muslims, Buddhists, whatever. Like if, if somebody has a spiritual path that is really working for them, then I don't think that I need to like, try to get them to switch. Like if somebody's like, yeah, you know, I tried this thing. I tried that thing. I don't really know. Still kind of a hole in my life. Then, okay, maybe I'll explain to them like the way that I think about Jesus that is different from you know how some others some other christians do but that would be like super individual and you know generally for somebody to ask me how do i think about it rather than just giving it to them obviously except in the case of this podcast where i mean y'all subscribed so you asked
1: (laughs) right y'all y'all made y'all made the choice to listen to this madness so that's on you Um, but no, I mean like, but in the case, so, so, so in the case of the, the folks on the Sentinel islands, right? Like they presumably they've not, they've not ever even heard of like of who Jesus is. They've not heard the gospel story. Um, and so how, like, how could they make a choice without hearing it? Right? Like they don't, they don't even know if they don't like it if they haven't heard it.
0: I mean, that's that's like I'm back to like if they have something that's working for them, then I don't see any reason to to change it.
1: But we don't know if we don't know if it's working for them. And I mean, to be to be quite fair, and I'm, I'm in no way like justifying any other society because the Amer- you know American society is insanely, insanely violent. OK, so just acknowledging that. But that being said, Something's not working when they feel the need to kill people who show up offering them a soccer ball. Well,
0: okay. And so now (laughs) that, that brings me back to like a thing that we talked about before we started recording, which was the history that this people, that that these people have with outsiders, because they're being, they're being described in the media as uncontacted, but that's not actually accurate. There has been contact. There's been some contact in like the last couple decades with some Indian anthropologists who uh, gave them some coconuts Mm -hmm. and they're, but, like, the first recorded contact is about 100 years ago. So, you know, the grandparents, or sorry, the grandchildren of those people are probably still alive. Um, This guy was English Navy guy. He was basically adventuring around, and he visited all these different islands. And he was a pervert, okay? Like... He I, I will put in the show notes a link to the the Twitter thread that was about this, but like he was measuring people's intimate parts, we'll put it that way, and taking nudie photos, and he there's something wrong with this guy. Um and then when and that was like the next line of the lower. So then when he came to North Sentinel, like everybody there was like uh, there's there's somebody invading, we're going to go hide. So they mostly all hid, except for a few of them. There was an elderly couple and a couple of young kids who didn't get hidden. And the elder, he kidnapped them. And eventually he returned the kids, but the elderly couple died. So, I mean, and, and, you know, we don't know what he did to the kids while they were gone, but we do know that what he did with everybody else he met was take measurements and, like, squeeze their junk and that is weird so if the pattern holds then these people who all hid when their kids were returned to them their kids came back and said yeah uh they're child molesters and so that would be why they hid the next time you know the next time this guy showed up and why they have continued to be like no we don't want the outsiders because it turns out the outsiders bunch of child molesters least you can kind of understand why they would mm-hmm. be like we don't want you here. We know what you do to people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not, it's probably a, a fairly natural reaction to be afraid of modern humans cuz we're Well, especially when
0: people. your your one contact with them has been like somebody who as far as we know his thing was sexually abusing indigenous people. Yeah. So, like, yes, killing is wrong, but there are always times when you can, like, see why somebody would go for that. And, you know, the the self-defense part of the peace testimony is definitely the most challenging bit. And I think, I think if we're being honest, that most or all Quakers would have to say that we don't know if we would Actually submit rather than go to self-defense.
1: I have to say though, like I don't feel like it's that clear-cut. And I and I think one of the questions that like, you know, you and I before we did this episode uh, read a couple different articles, the one from the New York Times that talked about this, and one from Johan Maurer, a Quaker, a Quaker writer um, from Sierra Cascades yearly meeting. Um, both were really helpful and, and actually, interestingly enough, asked some of the same questions. Um and I think one one of the many <laughs> one of the many questions raised in all this is um at what point is it paternalistic uh to hold like to try to like isolate these folks and keep them isolated and wall them off and treat them like as if they're like a museum specimen um and I guess I guess I just think like I t- I tend I tend to think that humans are humans and that uh I don't know like I t- I I'll just admit that I have a difficult time getting myself into a headspace where I could feel justified killing someone who came offering a soccer ball. Like even regardless of all the history, right? Like I acknowledge that. But like you don't I don't know. Like I just have a tough time putting myself in that headspace. So
0: so something that's so so the list of things he brought was scissors, a safety pin, and a soccer ball. And I'm not sure why he chose those particular items. Yeah, it's weird. However, um one thing I do know about the history there is that so there was a shipping like there, there was a ship that like ran around on the coral reef ages and ages ago um obviously after the pervert um, but before the the coconut gifting Um and it was made of metal because that's how ships are made nowadays and those people were airlifted out by a helicopter but the ship is still there and when they did the coconut gifting um that at like the The people on the island, accepted the coconut gifts, and after a while, they got tired of this, and they brandished daggers that they had made from the metal of the ship and So, I actually wonder, would the scissors have looked like a weapon to them?
1: Mm, mm-hmm. because
0: it's metal and pointy
1: that's a good question,
0: so seeing as there's no you know linguistic contact going on, like like nobody outside the island knows their language right. I don't know that there is a way that he could have explained to them that, yes, this metal sharp thing I brought is for cutting stuff, but I'm not going to use it on you.
1: Mm -hmm. you No. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's so much, there's so much we don't know. It's it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to know what really happened and how it all went down. I, I, I think, uh, I, I think a question that this all raises for me is, well so so one of the one of the questions that was raised in the, in the New York Times article was basically like at what point is it actually harmful uh to the folks on this Island to keep them isolated even if they want to be isolated at what point is it actually like not good because you know such a small population we're, they think we're probably talking about 50 people here um just on a genetic level they're not going to do too well um And like, I guess it's just, it's just a really, it's just, it seems like a really hard and complicated situation of knowing like at what point is contact good. And, and, and if there is good contact, um, under what's like, how, how is that best conducted? And and it's probably not best conducted by one lone person coming with soccer ball and scissors, uh, and, and initiating that contact. I think, I think, I think that's probably safe to say.
0: Yeah. And. I mean, the anthropologists who who contacted them in 1998. Um, I, I think that was the one who is in the New York Times article. Um, they said an anthropologist, I think, it was the same one, said that the way that you go about this sort of thing is you. It takes years mm-hmm. to make contact with people who have chosen isolationism. Mm-hmm. So, like he was saying that, like the coconut gifting, like basically making that a recurring thing of like, you know, doing a we come in peace type of contact where it's, they didn't do this on the island. They did this in the water. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, they met them in the water so they were not coming onto their land. Right. And um, just providing the gifts and that over time then, any the same person over and over, right? So that they get used to, okay, we know this person's our friend at least, right? And mm. then that can then allow you to get to having language exchange happening so that eventually you can have like real conversations
1: mm-hmm.
0: but um,
1: although apparently know, it never made it that far with them because uh, they told them to leave after they got well, tired they, of the coconuts
0: they, they didn't do it every year so, like they didn't do a, a. I think they said that they only made contact three times so like you're mm-hmm. saying that if if they wanted to actually like have a relationship with these people then they would need to Actually, have it be a recurring thing, like Mm -hmm. you know, a relationship isn't built in meeting once.
1: Yeah. Well, given given the reality of climate change and sea level rise, they probably will will need to be evacuated eventually. So I hope I hope some work is being done on this to consider how to make contact in a way that is not harmful.
0: I'm not sure what the geography is of the island. Like, I don't I don't know how high it is. You know what I mean? Like, because like some islands, even with sea level rise, they're still going to be there. They'll just be smaller. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Hawaii, for instance, very tall. So Mm -hmm. sea level goes up 10 feet. All right, so you lost a bit of beach, but you still have a bunch of island.
1: All right, we'll have to leave that for an exercise for the reader uh, to to figure out whether Sentinel Island uh, will go under or not when we have, you know, full polar ice cap melt.
0: (laughs) Oh, climate change. What are they saying, like 12 years in which to uh, drastically change things if we want to make the the results be only not so bad.
1: Yeah. Hey, have we, had, have we had a climate change episode yet? We should probably do that soon.
0: No, we haven't. We we talked about whether we should get Jay O'Hara or Peterson Toscano on for that.
1: All right. Well, Jay O'Hara or Peterson Toscano, if you're listening, uh, this would be a good time to reach out to us and say, yep, I would love to do that.
0: I mean, I've been buddies with Peterson for like 15 years, so we can totally easily get him.
1: <laughs> All right. Cool.
0: All right. So we should, I guess, I guess this would be wrapping up time. So All right. see, you, see y'all listeners again or whatever in uh, about two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> we don't really see you, but if you comment on the blog, we'll see you some more um, <laughs> uh, in about two weeks. And I don't know what we're going to be talking about then. We'll figure it out. <laughs> You can find us on the web at QuakerPodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.